Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And in this, an August special, we're going to look at 10 things which I've learned in the last 20 years doing property investing for myself. Now, just to be clear, I've been in property for over 35 years, which is quite a frightening thought. Can I really be that old? Yes, unfortunately I am. And I've been doing property really, actually, probably longer than 35 years because I actually did a bespoke property course at university. So, probably getting on for about 38, 39 years, if I want to be honest. That's a horrible thought. But there we go. But over the last 20 years, I've been investing in my own right. And looking back, sort of reminiscing about some of the experiences I've had, I've realised that there are some key learning points which I've had along the way. And I thought it might be useful in this uh, podcast and probably the next podcast as well to share the 10 main things which I've learned over the last 20 years. So number one on my list is there's rarely just one way of doing things. Let me just say that again. Number one is there's rarely just one way of doing things. So over the last uh, few years, I've done a fair amount of training with other very successful property investors, mainly at Progressive. And from the outset, I realised it was clear that all of us as trainers have a slightly different way of doing things. And listening and learning from others on a regular basis has shown me that we all have different approaches to property and that there's rarely just one way of reaching your property goals. This was really brought home to me, actually, when I was doing masterclass. I say when I was doing, I still do masterclass, but it's August, so I've got a month off. But doing masterclass with the other trainers, and on masterclass, you'll have three trainers for the weekend. And it's interesting because you'll often have three different opinions or three different views on a particular subject. And it doesn't mean that one is right and two are wrong. All three can be right. I guess, actually, all three could be wrong, but hopefully that's not the case. All three can be right, but we just do things in a different way. And this is why I think it's really interesting when I'm browsing property forums or going on Facebook groups and come across individuals who adamantly state that there's only one way to do something in property. In my opinion, that just is not true. Without wanting to sound critical, it seems to me that those who know the least often shout the loudest. And it might be the case that these comments are posted by people who are relatively new to investing and therefore lack the knowledge and experience to understand how property really works. Possibly they don't know what they don't know. And more often than not, It seems that they must have read something or perhaps taken part in some kind of a training and have walked away with a mistaken view that what they've heard is the only way to do something. Now, if you think about it, becoming successful today in property, you have to consider that there are numerous strategies that you can probably follow in order to achieve the success you're after. Previously, back in the old days when I first started, most investors would have considered buy to let as the principal route to success. But now you've also got strategies such as HMOs, commercial commissions, uh, serviced accommodation, rent to rent, to name just a few. 
So now there are various strategies, more than one strategy that you could adopt to achieve success. And this is a really good example of how there's rarely just one way of doing things. And that's the big lesson. In my experience, there's usually numerous ways to get to the particular point that you may want to get to in property. And over time, as you become more experienced in property, it's likely that you're going to find your own shortcuts and your own techniques and your own tweaks to make things happen. You may do things perhaps in a similar but different way to other investors, or you may do some things in a completely different way to other investors, but you may still find that you're going to end up at the same point. So is there one way that is better than another way? Well, in my opinion, and we can probably have a really long debate about this, But in my opinion, the best way to do anything in property is the way that suits you and the way that helps you to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. If you can do that, then that is the best way, the best way for you. Along your journey, you'll certainly come across people that say that you've got to do something a particular way or that you shouldn't do something another way. But what you should really do is investigate and find the way that works for you. Of course, modelling yourself on those ahead of you and those who are more successful than you are at the moment can be a worthwhile thing to do, but it doesn't mean you have to slavishly copy everything that they do. Be guided by the good bits and perhaps tweak some of their advice and approaches to suit you, but adopt and adapt what they say to make it actually work for you. Remember, there are no rules in property and the advice of others should be used as guidelines or suggestions and not as rules that are slavishly followed. Because as I say, there's rarely just one way of doing things. If you've ever been on Masterclass with me, you'll know that actually, despite my sort of soft, dulcet tones, I'm actually a little bit of a rebel in some areas. And that surprises some people. But this is because I want to completely change our mindset around some of these things where we think there's hard and fast rules and there's only one way of doing things. No, no, no. Find the thing that works for you. And if it works for you, who can say it's wrong? So that's number one on my list. There's rarely one way of doing things. Number two on my list of 10 things which I've learned over the last 20 years in investing for myself is that most things that we worry about actually never happen. Let me repeat that. Most things that we worry about actually never happen. And when I speak with new investors or would-be investors, I often find that they take very little action in the early days because they're overly concerned about getting it wrong, whatever it is. They worry about what might happen if things don't go exactly as they've planned. And the consequence of this is that they usually find themselves not taking very much action at all. But in my experience, the truth is that most of the things that we fear never actually happen at all. In fact, if anything does happen, then it's usually something which we haven't even considered. It's something unexpected rather than the niggling little worries which we already know about and which we already fixate about. Now, obviously, there are some things that we can do to help protect ourselves. And of course, we can take additional steps to minimise the risks regarding these things so that the things that we're worrying about actually are less likely to happen to us. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying don't sort of just think about what it is you're worrying about and assume it's not going to happen. If you can guard yourself against it, then all well and good. But what we must be careful of is that these concerns don't prevent us from taking action. 
because the failsafe and default mode for some of us is not to do anything at all. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if we don't do anything at all, then obviously nothing that we do can actually harm us because we're not actually doing anything. But the reality is, and and Rob Moore often says this, that the biggest mistake is not doing anything at all. And that is so true as well. In actually trying to avoid any harm coming to us, we're actually ironically doing ourselves more harm by not doing anything at all. Now we all we're all grown up. We're we, we've you know we're consenting adults on this podcast, so I can say this without fear of offending anybody. But we all know that property is not without its risks. Anybody who tells you that property is risk free isn't telling you the truth. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there aren't going to be bumps along the road. That you're going to have things happen which you're going to wish wouldn't happen, and that's just the way it is. If you're going to get to a point of success, things will happen along that journey. But there are some obvious risks which we can evaluate even before we start. And there are things we can do to mitigate them before we start. And in my opinion, the best way to ensure that we don't mess things up completely is to start by educating ourselves. We are a training company, I suppose I'm bound to say that. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, the more we know, the the more informed we're going to be about what could happen and how to avoid the things that we don't want to happen. It's that old saying, I said it earlier, about not knowing what we don't know. If you don't know what you don't know, then how can you know what to do? So education has got to be foundational. Alongside that, it goes without saying, I hope, that conducting thorough due diligence is one of the best steps towards safeguarding ourselves. When we're buying a a property, when we're choosing an education company, when we're choosing a mentor, do your due diligence. When you're choosing a JV partner, do your due diligence. And one of the best things that you can do, which can help with all of this, is working with a mentor who's been on a similar journey and who's overcome similar hurdles and fears. But you'll probably find that no matter how much you educate yourself, there'll still probably be some stuff that you'll worry about. And often this is the stuff that you shouldn't really worry about at all. An example of this is the fear that the property market's going to crash at some point in the future. Whilst this is a very legitimate worry, we shouldn't let this stop us from doing property. Strangely enough, the day before I recorded this podcast, uh, the Daily Mail was running a front page expose on the possibilities of the property market crashing. Now, I've got to confess, I haven't read the article. Uh, I might read it later if I can find an old copy of the Daily Mail. Um, But, you know, this is the stuff which the press chuck at us. And this is why, you know, if you're not used to the property business, you could worry. But the reality is, I'm recording this in August. It's the silly season. There's probably not very much for the press to talk about. Property is always an an emotive and evocative subject. So why not run a headline about property market about to crash? And the reality is, one day the property market will crash. Of course it will. But does that matter? Well, Yes and no. The point is that if we know it's going to happen, and by the way, it is going to happen, we can prepare and we can protect ourselves now. The headline on the front of the Daily Mail shouldn't make us feel one thing or the other. If anything, I suppose it might make us feel optimistic because if the property market were to crash, there may be some great deals out there to be done. But if it does crash, hopefully it's not going to affect us because we can plan around that And the properties we've been buying, we've been buying slightly below market value or we've been adding value and we've got the right uh, finance in place and the right deals with our JV partners. So all of this stuff is covered. So this would be my advice to you. Don't let worry stop you from taking action. 
In fact, I wouldn't even worry about the stuff that you're worried about because most of it is unlikely to happen. What is more likely to happen is something that you probably haven't even thought about. And if you haven't even thought about it, then you can't really deal with it, can you? Because if you don't know what it's going to be, if you don't know what the problem's going to be that's going to cause you the problem, you can't really deal with it until it happens. So you may as well just crack on and get on with it. So there we are. That's number two. Number three on my list is a lack of money should not hold you back from getting started in property. A lack of money should not hold you back from getting started in property. Now, those that are new to investing often assume that in order to get started, they're going to need a lot of money. After all, even a relatively cheap property is quite expensive in absolute terms. I buy properties up in the northeast of England mainly, where I can still buy a decent rental property for about sixty or £70,000, which in the scheme of things, compared to, say, a studio flat in London, which is going to cost £200,000, is pretty cheap. But getting your hands on £70,000 isn't that easy, is it? If, you, if, you, if, you're, if the average salary in the UK is, what, £25,000, even sixty or £70,000 is still a lot of money, and I understand that. But the truth of the matter is that you don't need to have money to get started. Or rather, put a different way, you don't need to have your own money to get started in property. With the market as it is today, you might find cheap property. As I say, up in the north of England, you may find property, you know, 50, 60,000 pounds, which is still a chunk of change, isn't it? So it's not surprising that many people think that you have to have a lot of spare cash to get started. But I'd reiterate, whilst I don't disagree that it could be difficult to do property deals with no money, The key thing is it doesn't have to be your money. So using myself as an example, when I started out, I had no money of my own. Sometimes when I say that, people sort of roll their eyes and just think, oh, that's just hype. But it's actually true. I was made redundant and I didn't have any savings and I had to do something otherwise I wasn't going to be able to feed my family. So the very first thing which I did was I remortgaged my home and I took out the equity and used it as seed capital for my business. By the way, if you're wondering how I did that, I managed to get a little bit of consultancy work which was a part-time, it didn't pay very well, but it was just enough income to be able to prove to the bank that they should lend to me. So they did. So that worked out okay. I didn't spend years saving up money to get started. In fact, I mean, everything I was earning from my consultant, he just went on feeding the family anyway. But I was able to use the equity that I took out of my own home to buy eight properties in my first year. So I went from a position of literally having none of my own money, to buying eight properties in the first year. So if you're thinking that you might need to spend years saving so you can get into property, you don't. And it needn't be a slow process because money shouldn't hold you back. What's more, things have changed a lot since I began in property and there are now many other ways to get money if you need to get money to start you off. Joint venture partnerships, for example. I know we talk about this a lot at uh, Progressive and if you've not been on a JV day, I thoroughly recommend going on one because you'll learn so many ways of raising finance, which is what we could call non-conventional, not through the banks, because it's a great way forward if you think that you're struggling for cash or if you think you might struggle to borrow cash from a bank. Over the last few years, the idea of using JV partnership funds has become pretty mainstream. So essentially, you'd go into a deal with a business partner, perhaps on a 50-50 basis, Or you'll find somebody who will lend you the cash in exchange for a decent return on their investment. In other words, they'll lend you the money and you pay them some interest. Another way that you could perhaps get into property without using 
any money of your own is to do some no money down deals. Now, as long as it's above board and legal, then I have no problem recommending doing no money down. Sometimes I, I get so frustrated because I read on the forums and on Facebook groups comments like, oh, if it's no money down, it must be illegal. Well, that's just not true. There are many legal and legitimate and ethical ways of doing no money down. So, for example, it could be using options. It could be using installment contracts. It could be using delayed completion. It could, in fact, be rent to rents, which is effectively a no money down way of doing property. And there's other strategies that you can use as well. There, so that, the point is that there's numerous ways that we can do property with no money or with very little of our own money. And if we really want to get into property, then we can do it regardless of our current personal financial situation. Again, something which might surprise some people. And I think so much of this actually is around our mindset. If we consider ourselves to be skinned, then we act like we're skinned. But actually, if you know you can do this stuff, it doesn't really matter whether you're skint or whether you've got loads of money. I was talking to one of the other progressive trainers, actually, the other day, who was telling me that they were so glad that when they started in property that they didn't have any money of their own. Because one of the dangers is, and I can actually vouch for this myself, when you have some money, and remember I was able to get equity out of my own home, when you have some money you kind of think, well, that's all the money you've got. And so you become fixated on the amount of money that you've got. And that becomes the amount that you can spend. Whereas this particular trainer at Progressive was telling me that because they'd started with no money at all, they didn't have any kind of limits as to what they thought they could raise. And they went out and they raised JV Finance. And now after three years, they've raised, oh, I think it's over three million pounds worth of JV Finance, which they've used on property deals which is a lot more than the money which I thought that I had to spend. So it's true. Mindset is so important. Main point is don't let money hold you back from getting into property because there are ways and means of getting into property, even if you have no money or only limited money. And maybe see the fact that you've got no money or limited money has actually been an advantage for the reasons that I've just said. Number four on the list of 10 things which I've learned over the last 20 years in property is you don't have to run out of money. So we've just thought about the fact that you don't have to consider a lack of money as being a reason for not getting started in property. But I come across many experienced and knowledgeable property investors who worry about running out of money once they've started. And in fact, you often hear people say something like, I know I'm going to run out of money at some point, and so at that point I'll have to stop buying properties. And in the early days, I used to hear people say that, and I used to nod and agree. What I didn't think about until relatively recently is, actually, I started with that one single pot of money, which was taking equity out of my own home, and I'm still buying. It's now August 2018, and this year I've bought four buy-to-lets, and I'm just about to exchange on a commercial conversion property. And I'm also hopefully in the next couple of months going to exchange on on another building plot, which is going to be a plot for six or seven flats, which I'm buying. All of that comes from that single pot of money, which I took out as the equity from my own home 20 years ago. In other words, I haven't stopped buying and I haven't run out of money. Now, there have been times when I haven't had any money at that immediate point in time. And the reality is that the reason why I'm still able to keep buying is because over the last 20 years, due to market movements, prices have increased and the value of my assets have risen over time. 
And this has allowed me to refinance my portfolio on a reasonably regular basis and use the money which I've taken out of my portfolio to keep expanding my portfolio. But there have been times when I have lacked disposable cash. But that didn't stop me from buying properties. When I get low on funds, there's a number of things I can do. If there's equity in the portfolio, I can take the equity out of the portfolio. If I haven't got equity in the portfolio, then I can consider using a JV partner. Again, going back to the point I just made under under point number three, JV partners. There'll be people out there who'll come in on the deal or there'll be people who will just be happy to lend you the money in return for a decent rate of interest. So the reality is we don't have to run out of money. At some point, if you're buying and if you're in property long enough, then market increases are probably going to increase the value of your assets so you can refinance. Or you can use JV funds or you could even do some of the no money down techniques, which we thought about in the last point as well. There's always a way. So you do not have to round money. Here's the fifth thing that I've learned on my, in my 20 years in property investing for myself. And it's this. Some things in property just take time. And I wish somebody had told me this when I started. Let me just repeat that. Some things in property just take time. In other words, they just take the time that they take. And I do wish somebody had told me this because I actually, although you might think I'm a nice, calm person, which is the impression I get when people come up and say, I love your podcast, it's so calm and relaxing. Actually, inside, I'm not really a calm and relaxed person. I'm actually quite driven in a quiet, laid back kind of way. And I want to get things done. And anybody who works with me knows that if we say we're doing something, I want it done now. I don't want it done tomorrow. I want it done now. I wanted it done yesterday. But Peter, you only just thought of the idea. I don't care. I want it done now. And that's just who I am. And being in property, I have to learn. I've had to learn to control that because there's all sorts of stuff which is going to happen, which is going to make you feel, oh, I wish they'd just get on with it. It doesn't even matter if you're buying a property for cash, for example. Even if you're buying for cash and you do not need a mortgage, you can bet your bottom dollar that once the matter gets into solicitor's hands, it's going to take far longer than you ever would have thought possible. And by the way, not being disrespectful to any solicitors who are listening to this, but this is just my experience. I think in a previous podcast, I had a rant and mentioned that this is one of the things which makes me rant. So yes, but it's still happening. Even since I recorded that podcast, as I said earlier, I've bought four buy to let Uh, properties this year. I'm now currently working on my fifth. I'm buying it for cash. I'm not having searches. The vendor is desperate to sell to me. But do you know what? We've been working on this now for about two months. It hasn't happened. I couldn't even begin to tell you why. I've got, I'm just, nowadays I just take a deep breath and I chill and I try not to get too stressed about it. And I haven't really chased the solicitors. I know that the vendor's chasing their solicitor to chase my solicitor. But I'm not the problem. The problem is actually the vendor's solicitor. And yet there isn't anything really very much for them to do apart from come up with a contract. How hard can it be? I honestly don't know what the problem is, but it just drags on and on. Who would have thought? Well, after you've been in property long enough, you begin to get used to this kind of thing. If you are buying with a mortgage, by the way, then you can compound the problem because then you've got dealings with the broker. The broker's got to find the bank. The bank's going to ask some questions. The broker's going to ask you the questions. You're going to give the answers. The answer get passed back to the bank. You just think you've got everything sorted and suddenly the bank will come up with a new question and then it'll come back to you and there'll be another thing. There'll be a bit of paper they want, which has gone missing. And so it goes on. 
and then it just gets lost in the in the bank and the bank are busy because everybody's buying at the moment and oh, so many different delays that can happen. So it doesn't matter what you're doing in property. Refurbs. Why do you think that when you do a refurb, you should always budget for A, it's going to cost you more than you think and B, it's going to take you longer than you think because it is going to take you longer than you think. It doesn't matter what the job is, it doesn't matter how well you know the builder. I bet you it's going to take you longer than you think. This is just the way that property happens. So why do we put ourselves through all of this? Because we know that at the end of it, when we've bought property, when we've put together a portfolio, when we've got our passive income, when we've got our equity, when we've got our security, it will all have been worthwhile. But as I said earlier, are there going to be bumps in the road along the way? Well, of course there are. Things are going to happen. And one of the things which is going to happen is that it's not going to happen as quickly as you think it should. And you just have to keep your nerve, try and keep cool. Oftentimes there's not a lot you can do about it. I've I've locked horns with solicitors before, trying to push them along. All they've done is pushed back. It's not worth it. Just do what you can, but just don't get stressed about it. So there we are. That's the first five of the 10 things which I'm going to tell you about, which I've learned in property over the last uh, 20 years investing for myself. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to know more about me, please do come to my website, thepropertyteacher.co.uk. You'll find a load of resources there, including some paid resources, my ebooks and manuals, which will tell you all about my property investing strategy and how you can do the same and how to refurb and how to plan your property journey. And there's some good free resources as well, some special reports which I wrote, which you can download for free. And of course, you can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out every Friday morning. So come over to my website, thepropertyteacher.co.uk. In the meantime, until the next uh, progressive property podcast is to successful property investing. <laughs>